What's going on, members of the Izone, and welcome back to Impact Izone, your one and only source for Michigan State men's basketball. Brought to you by Impact 89 FM WDBM, a part of the Impact Sports Podcast Network. Another on the road edition of Impact is on. The crew is in Minneapolis. The crew being myself, the host Julian Mitchell, Kyle Turk, Joey Ellis, Griffin Stroin, and Beyond Sun. Sorry, we, we we watched Kicking and Screaming last night. Might be the greatest character in movie history, to he be is. honest. He makes the movie. <laughs> he ma- I am Beyond Sun. <laughs> Thank you, Beyond Sun, for making an appearance. Glad to have you here. But uh, no, just myself, Kyle Turk, Joey Ellis, and Griffin Stroin in the house for this episode of Impact His Own. Season, season 6. Episode twenty three. Oh, good! You were keeping track because I didn't know. Yeah, I make sure to keep track. I, you know, <laughs> I stay on top of things. Uh, but season six, episode twenty three. Obviously, the Spartans made it to the final four. We're on the road here in Minneapolis, Minnesota, doing this in the the hotel room, the wonderful Courtyard Marriott here in downtown Minneapolis. It's been a good time here in Mini. It uh, has not been a great time if you're a Michigan State Spartan, Michigan State Spartan fan. Uh, Spartans advanced to the Final Four, played Texas Tech in the national semifinal game, and lost to the Red Raiders Saturday night. Uh, final score 61-51. to Just some stats to highlight. Cassius Winston for Michigan State. 16 points, only 2 assists for Winston to go along with four turnovers. Uh, Matt McQuay chipped in with 12 points of his own on a, a rough shooting night, four of 11 from the field, three of seven from three-point range. And on the other side for the Red Raiders, Matt Mooney, their leading scorer with 22 points. He led the way for them. And Jarrett Culver, a very tough night, but as Matt Mooney was able to push the Red Raiders to a win, Culver was able to make sure that it happened with 10 points for him on a three of 12 shooting night. And... Uh, guys, I want to get your your quick initial thoughts from the game before we start to dive deep into this. A, a very tough loss for Michigan State and the Spartan faithful. Well, somebody finally did it, Julian. We were wondering, you know, if anybody could slow down Cassius Winston, who has run Michigan State offense so well all season long. Michigan thought they had a chance. Duke thought they had their chance. And Texas Tech, finally, as a team, was able to pose a defense that finally was able to keep the ball out of Winston's hands as much as possible. Like you said, 16 points, still led the team in scoring, but he was just 4 of 16, 2 of 8 from downtown. So he really had a tough time you know, trying to orchestrate that offense. He played all 40 minutes, and, and Tech just did a good job of keeping it out of his hands, making guys like Matt McQuaid and Aaron Henry, who got a couple buckets late, try to beat them. And really good job from the Red Raider defense on the interior. Xavier Tillman and Nick Ward who we thought would really like their matchup with a couple of undersized Texas Tech bigs, but Tariq Owens was the difference maker in that first half. And then Odiasi as well played a pretty darn good game down low as well. So, I mean, that defense is as advertised, and and that was really the story. And like you said, that Matt Mooney run by himself really ended up putting Michigan State in. Tech's legit. Uh, I don't know if it was a matter of it had, they had to face a team like MSU to do it because Gonzaga is pretty darn good. Uh, they didn't give up too many points to them. Michigan is is up and down. They didn't. They held them to 44. And, and I think the the way you summarize this game for MSU is season low in points. Uh, Winston only having two assists. You could you could really go up and down. But for me, it's just it, it's unfortunate. But uh, 
after hitting that big shot against Duke and, and literally getting there, them there in the first place, Kenny Goins ends the Spartan career with no points. Uh, Xavier Tillman didn't have any points until, I think, halfway through the second half. Nick Ward was in foul trouble. Aaron Henry being in foul trouble, I think, was the difference for MSU because once he picked up that second foul, I think it was halfway through the first half. Uh, you saw how impactful he was towards the end of the game, and you, you think he was probably the the key if he had been able to pop in you know 20 points of his own. MSU would have had a real fighting chance, but even to get it down to one point against that that Texas Tech defense after being 13 down in the, in that start of the second half, I think it just shows MSU would have been worthy of winning a national title, but just the chips didn't fall for him in this game. Yeah, um, I, I hey, what up, Julian? Once again, thanks for having me on the podcast. Ready to pod, pod, pod it up. Um, but yeah, I just I I thought it was interesting. I mean. I hate to sound like a broken record like everyone here, but that tech defense is for real. I mean, it's unreal, to be honest. It, it, to, to do what they did against that MSU team that had been rolling, um, I think it's crazy. And the fact that only three MSU players had scored in the first half, um, like we said, Kenny Goins didn't even get on the board at all. Uh, I mean, they were just they were a different animal. And I, MSU, obviously, they prepared for this, but there was no way to simulate that that Texas Tech defense in practice or anything like that. Um, and then we were DiVincenzoed. Matt Mooney went off, and there was that spurt of just him, just like how DiVincenzo did in the Final Four game for Villanova against Michigan last year. I mean, it's it's hard it's hard to win a game like that after someone's just hitting buckets like that. And, I mean, it's got to be demoralizing for an MSU team that, I mean, Mooney was getting buckets easier than any player on all of MSU. So, um and yet, though, it was still a very winnable game. So, um, yeah, a, a tough one for MSU fans, especially us being stuck here in mini. But, you know, it was a good season for the Spartans. Yeah, and, um, yeah, we're we're stuck here in Minneapolis oh, no. following the uh, the Michigan State loss. Oh, but no. had some big things, some big things cooking. <laughs> Aside from being able to watch the national championship game, we uh, have a special guest on this episode of the podcast who's going to come and help us talk a little bit about Texas Tech and Michigan State. Stuck around, led to a meeting with that, so you'll see what happens with that special guest later on in the show. But sticking with our opinions and our thoughts, uh, I think the biggest thing you all hit on in that, was true throughout this game was that this Texas Tech defense is legit. It's the truth. And it was a big talking point coming in, and everyone talked about how it's a fantastic defense, it's the best in the country, but it truly doesn't do enough until you see it live. I mean, this is a defense that they are much better than uh, than advertised. It's better than any defense in the country because they do it differently than any defense in the country. We talked about it in the preview of how they – don't allow anything middle. They help defenses fantastic. They they bring opponent, uh, bring players from the other side to block shots. Tariq Owens, as Joey said, was fantastic. He's just a spark plug, active guy in the middle. And it, it's an absolute animal. And it, it's no lie, Chris Beard has created a monster on that side of the basketball. And I think the one thing that, I, I mean, you all can, can comment on and how you feel, but as Griffin said, there's no way to simulate this. And I think that was a big part of this for Michigan State is that it may not have been a lack of preparation, but it is extremely hard to prepare for what they had to see, particularly in the way they run the offense. I mean, Xavier Tillman in the post, Nick Ward in the post were just outworked, out-toughed, and it's just hard to prepare for something like that. Well, it's hard to prepare for a defense that was as physical and they're just going to you know, hit you in your mouth like Texas Tech does. They're guards that you really don't give the guards a whole lot of space to work with. And those are situations and areas that... Michigan State, outside of Cassius Winston, aren't all too familiar with. I mean, Matt McQuaid 
really isn't used to having to pound the ball on the floor time and time again. And, and eventually Texas Tech was getting Kenny Goins and Tillman around the arc having to create some off-ball movement there when, when they're denying the ball to Winston. And I think that was a difference because everything runs through Cassius Winston. There's no surprise. That's been the blueprint all year. But Texas Tech finally felt like they had the unit and the guys to counteract that and say, all right, we're going to get this out of your best player's hands and, and see if Matt McQuaid, Kenny Goins, and, and others can, can beat us. And if they do, we, we'll tip our cap. But, I mean, they weren't able to do that. And that Michigan State supporting cast, for me at least, was still – in doubt for much of the season. Granted, they had some good games when they needed them. But, I mean, Matt McQuaid, tough tournament for him, all in all. I mean, he hit a couple big shots against Duke. Same thing went for Kenny Goins. But really, neither of them played their best basketball in the tournament when Michigan State needed it. And, I mean, it's tough for Winston to go one-on-five. And when you've got some guys like Texas Tech had offensively who can still produce and who can still score, it's a, it's a tough matchup for Michigan State. Yeah, I mean... It, it it's impossible to to try and show how great that Texas Tech defense was. I mean, even on TV, I think it's hard to really fully understand how aggressive they were. But also, I mean, that team is just athletic. I mean, they're ridiculous. That that uh, alley oop from uh, from Cassius to Tillman that was blocked uh, in the first half, oh, unbelievable. I mean, that guy was nowhere close, and all of a sudden he just rises up and blocks the crap out of Tillman. I mean. <laughs> Sorry, Turk. I'm, I'm just telling it how it is. I mean, that defense in general was just it was un, it was unbelievable. And Joey, to your your point, the the offensive game had was struggle uh, was very tough for both Goins and McQuaid. It, it, they just like you said, they were having troubles all tournament. Even though you know in the Big Ten tournament they were rolling. I mean, that game for McQuaid in Michigan for the Big Ten final. I mean, he was he was unbelievable. Um, but for some reason, something just didn't click for them in the tournament. Um, and for Cassius to try and go one against five against other teams, it, it worked for the, uh, these earlier games. But against that great of a defense against Texas Tech, you just you can't do it like that. Yeah, and then something Joey hit on that made Winston kind of go one against five, and a, a big part of that was the play of Kenny Goins. Uh, a complete O for a donut in this game. No points, no made field goals. And and Joey, I have to ask, because as a senior, this was his his last shot. This was the, the way he's going to have to walk out the door. Uh and for a lot of people, I'm sure they'll look at this game and they'll try to apply that to Goins' legacy and what he's left here as a Spartan. I mean, do do you think this this hurts what he's done in his career, or how do you assess the career of Kenny Goins with with an offer in a Final Four game? Well, I think with where he was able to start and come, I think shows he'll be through and through a Spartan. And I think this team will will miss Kenny Goins more than they think they will next season, especially in certain times. Um, but, I mean, not a great tournament for him, especially not a great game for him to go out. But it was shots that he pretty much got all season that was either for him, he either hits them and he's a pretty darn good shooter, or those are ones that, you know, opposing teams are still willing to live with. But Michigan State knew they were going to get some good-looking shots there with the way Texas Tech defends. And it was just a matter of, can you get those shots? Can you hit those when you need them? Kenny Goins wasn't able to do that all tournament long, really all postseason long for him. Tough way to go out, but... I think fans will be, you know, pretty mindful of what Kenny Goins meant to that program. I, I'm surprised that we were on, on this thing about one one v five when all it would have taken was a couple of shots from Gabe Brown falling from the outside for things to be like radically different. I, I'm I I think that's I wouldn't characterize the offense as one v five because took three shots though. 
Yeah, but they like were featuring him in the whole office. They were open though. But if he hits him, then what are we saying? Okay, right. then Gabe Brown comes off the bench and puts in the needed offense. They probably could have won him the game. He hits two of those shots. It changes everything. But I think the the biggest thing that we're trying to say is you're not going to win many games, or the formula for any opposing team is going to be make Matt McQuaid take eleven plus shots a game. I mean, Matt's four of eleven in this game here. That is kind of what you would like to have if you're an opposing defense, is to force him to take 11 shots, and Winston has to take 16, and it's very inefficient, 4 of 16 from the field from him. I mean, you you would rather have that differential. I, I just think the, the idea that, um, I think getting the ball inside was, was the main problem more than anything else. There's a, I think there's a difference between 1 and 1v5, and then a matter of Texas Tech completely took MSU out of the matchups that we said beforehand, they were going to be advantageous for MSU. And you look up and Tillman doesn't have any points halfway through the game. It's it's tricky when you're going up against a defense that could do what they did. And once once Winston can't find his way around ball screens and, and get to the rim, kick out, do anything, that I don't think MSU was prepared for that maybe necessarily. I, I agree. I'm going to go back to the Goins thing though real quick. I think that MSU fans in general should be very happy with the career that Kenny Goins had. For him, for himself personally to walk onto the team and then all of a sudden become a starter on one of these top tier college basketball programs, uh, I think you know fans are disappointed maybe with his his performance in this game. But as a whole, I think MSU fans should only see Kenny Goins as you know what a what a true Spartan was. I mean, this guy was on the practice squad as a has a walk-on, and he worked his way up, um, improved his game. He did not have much of an outside jumper, especially a three-point game last year. And then all of a sudden this year, I mean, he hits one of the biggest three-pointers in Michigan State basketball history. I mean, people are considering that shot against Duke um, on the, the level of he had trouble with the snap. I saw that all over Twitter, which was bigger for MSU uh, athletics. So I think in general, if you're an MSU fan, are you disappointed that – MSU didn't go to the title game and that Kenny Goins didn't show out, maybe a little bit. But as a whole, you got to be happy with the season, and you have to be extremely happy with Kenny Goins because he, he was a true Spartan, and he was a great member of that team. I completely agree. He's the, the definition of what it means to be a Michigan State Spartan, starting from the ground up, the work he, he put in over his, his five years as a Spartan here at Michigan State. And so all, all credit to him for that. Just one other thing I want to touch on with the, the 1v5 comment. Uh, the biggest thing I think that shows of why the offense struggled so much, two assists singularly, individually for Winston, six overall as a team for Michigan State. And we're talking about a team that is known for having nearly as many assists as they do made baskets and only get six in this game, I think was a big part. They forced them into more individual play, more shot creation than Michigan State likes to have. Well, and that's what Texas Tech likes to do. They don't really give you a whole lot of passing lanes, and you saw that early that Michigan State was wanting to get it inside, but Tech does a great job of double and even triple teaming the bigs and, and not even letting any post entries really get in there, which is where Michigan State likes to get a lot of their work down there, especially with Xavier Tillman. So the assist numbers were low, but it wasn't all too surprising because, like you said, they really wanted to make Michigan State play you know, one-on-one basketball and beat your man. And Michigan State, outside of Winston, doesn't really have anybody. I mean, Henry got it going late a little bit. But I don't think any of those guys are still 
they can't create for themselves. And, and Texas Tech was willing to live with that. And if you hit shots, you hit shots. It's kind of the blueprint against that Texas Tech defense. But they're not going to give up a whole lot of assists on made baskets. And, and when Michigan State's not playing like that, they get very one-dimensional offensively. So, I mean, tough night for them. But, I mean, you just have to keep going back to that defense. They, they game plan perfectly, and they executed it. And that's that was basically the difference is Texas Tech executed, Michigan State couldn't do it. Right, and one thing, I, I went on Green and White Report uh, just the other day, and one of the things they asked me was about Tom Izzo and his coaching in this game and the fact that there there was a, a lack of energy to say to, to start the game and then to come out of the second half and then a lack of adjustments at that point. And, and in my opinion, I obviously think he, sh- he shares a little of the blame just because he is the head coach, and it does come with adjustments and, and a lot of things that he had to make in-game. But I also believe, as we've said, it, it's hard to simulate what the Red Raiders did, and it's hard to adjust to that. I mean, this is something where you, you can't really work around a Tariq Owens and work around what they kind of forced Michigan State into. And so to me, at least, I, I think it's it just a big credit to Texas Tech. This is a team that deserve, deserves to be in the national title game. They've been slighted all season long as a can they do this, can they can they do that. We were talking with Matt Micah, who's a former impactor now with uh, uh, the Texas Tech team as a videographer, and he said that's a question they've been asked multiple times in press conferences. Coach Beard has been asked, and they, they've been slighted all season long, and now they're in the title game for a reason, and I give them a lot of credit for what they did. Yeah, I mean that that team is that team's good, and it's it's not just good on the defensive end; they're good on the offensive end as well. Um, but with Izzo and the whole energy level, Julian, I I agree. They seem to just be a little flat, uh, especially when you're only down two after that first half, when only three players score. Uh, I mean, you would think that they're going to come out with all this energy and realize, hey, this is a ball game, and we haven't played our best basketball by far. Um, but for some reason, it just it wasn't there for them, um, and it, it's tough. I mean, don't get me wrong; the this, this season is long and grueling. But I, I feel like you got to bring that energy for you know a big stage like this, the Final Four. Um, so it, it's tough, but I mean, like you said, Texas Tech de- deserves to be in this title game, and we should have a good one between them and uh, Virginia. Side effect, I think, of playing minute after minute after minute, not only in the regular season, but uh, Minnesota. LSU, Duke, all three of the seniors plus McQuay or seniors plus Winston, thirty-eight minutes and above. It it was bound to catch up with them at some point. I don't know if that's necessarily all you can explain, but when I see Matt McQuaid walking to the free throw line with eight minutes left in the first half, and he's winded beyond belief, you get the sense that now after all that time they'd played what? That's thirty. That was game number thirty-nine. Tough to do. But also, I mean, we can also just look at it. Maybe Texas Tech is just a better team. I mean, this year especially, you got 14 or 15 points off the bench from Kyler Edwards and Brandon Francis compared to Michigan State's bench, which they really didn't go to at all. I mean, Kyle mentioned game Gabe Brown, but an offer for him as well through a couple of good looks. But offensively, they've got two, even three guys with the way they play who can really go out and get you some buckets. I mean, it's, it's Jarrett Culver, obviously, the – player of the year in the conference first second team all-american but then when he's not going you got a guy like Mooney who can go off and then you got Davide Moretti who when you're accounting for those other two guys Moretti can definitely score in bunches and then Owens you add in his athleticism and all the 
hustle plays that don't show up on the stat sheet. It's a pretty darn good team. I, everyone wants to talk about how good they are defensively, and deservingly so, but they can still score it, and especially with the guys they've got who can all shoot it well when they get it going like that, they're pretty tough to stop. Yeah, they, they are a really good team, and that is what they wanted to do and what they've done all season is they tire teams out. And one thing about Matt McQuaid, and I give that man a lot of credit because he put everything out on the floor this entire season and in this game. I mean, he caught a cramp in the second half and had to come out for a minute and go back in, and then we're in the locker room trying to, to ask him questions, and he catches a cramp mid-interview. It's it's absolutely insane, and that's that's one thing I think a lot of people are going to be disappointed about losing in the Final Four and not making it to the championship game. But this team overachieved on what they did this season with the injuries they had to to run with a lack of depth, to run with so many players for 40-plus minutes. They overachieved in everything they did, and they deserve credit for everything they've done in reaching a Final Four. And I think this just opens the doors for next year in bringing everyone back and adding a piece and pieces in a couple of guys, and especially Rocket Watts Jr., who are going to push this program, I think, to a, to a new height. Also, uh, 3-0 against Michigan? I mean, if you're a State fan, you cannot complain with the season they had. They they totally overachieved. three, And once again, 3-0 and against Michigan. And a, a very good Michigan team. The good Big Ten. A, won a the great Big season. Ten. You win the regular season. You win the tournament. I mean, overall, this this MSU team, um, memorable. Was, they were they were oh more than memorable. More than memorable. Big Ten Player of the Year, Cassius Winston. I mean, overall, a, a great season for Spartan hoops. And if you're a fan, would you have liked to see them make it to the title game? Absolutely. But to to lose in the Final Four to a very good Texas Tech team. I mean, this is overall a, a great season and one that I hope even the players and Tom Mizzo realized were, was, was, you know, very memorable, but also like a, a great one. The other thing that, that I worry about just a little bit now, are the, are, are the expectations already a little bit too high for next year? Just because, I mean, say what you want about the recruiting classes, they could be preseason top three team next year. I don't think that's very far out of the realm of possibility with Winston assumingly coming back, I think the... The, the social media post today kind of confirmed he was coming back. Tillman back, Henry back, Langford coming off the injury. It's it's a very scary time to be the rest of the Big Ten if you're if you're Michigan State. I mean, it'll be interesting the the preseason hype. A lot of talk that they might enter. It's all just early. It's very early. Oh, it's, it's, the, I mean, the championship game hasn't even been played yet. Exactly. But I mean, looking on paper with what they bring back, and you lose Goins and McQuay, that'll certainly hurt. But like you said, Rocket Watts, you get Malik Hall. Julius Randall, I Marble. believe that's his name. Marble. Marble, excuse me. Thinking of the other guy. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the NBA player. The NBA player. My favorite. Pelicans. Yep. Um, but on paper, this team, there's no reason they shouldn't get back to a Final Four. I mean, you expect Cassius Winston to be at that same level, maybe a bit more conditioned. That's definitely the one area he definitely has to improve is his, is his physical, you know, his body and everything like that. But it'll be interesting, the preseason hype, all of that. But I wouldn't expect it to be some crazy thing if Michigan State ends up right back in the Final Four. And who knows? I mean, their guard play next year, if healthy, might be the best guard play in the country if they can all produce like we were seeing with Josh Langford before he went down. So it'll be a pretty good team, and it'll be exciting to watch. But Michigan, you have to expect, you know, gets another improvement considering the guys who stay do stay. But I don't think it's wild to think that Michigan State could be pretty darn good next year. 
uh, next year will be very interesting. Last thing, before we get up out of here, we'll have a full season wrap-up when we get back to East Lansing in the studio. But last point that I want to make coming out of this Final Four, um, Tom Izzo now 2-6 and six in his eight Final Four appearances. And it's it's been something that I've seen pop up on the social media time, uh, time and time again after this loss. Uh, what do you think of his legacy now at this point? Two and six in the Final Four. I believe that's the lowest mark, I think, for a Final Four and coach, at least, at least in at least five games. Uh, personally, for me, I will say I don't think it, it means that much. It's, to me, very much like LeBron James in that it takes a lot to get there in the first place. I do think... This next, this upcoming season, and maybe even the next season after that, I think you have to win a, a national championship at some point. I think that that only reaching there only matters at a certain point, and then you have to win it. And I think at a certain point, he has to get that second one. It's interesting; those are they're handpicked numbers, like you said. I mean, getting there is it's so tough to win six straight games, especially with you know win or go home. If you're playing a best of seven, that's one thing, but. Just like Virginia, I mean, they've been using their luck, if you want to call it that, to get here for a chance at a title. But, I mean, Tom Izzo getting there, eight Final Fours in 21 years, that's incredible. And you could ask any coach in Division One hoops, any coach in college basketball, and they'll all tell you the same answer, the amount of respect they have for Izzo, one of the best coaches in the country. You'll hear it from pretty much anyone you ask. So I, I think that number, it's it's a tough look. But I do think if you get that second national championship that really puts you in a rare air that most other coaches not named, you know, Shashevsky and, and Roy Williams um, have who are currently coaching. So uh, another title would be big, especially this year where you didn't, you got by Duke and you thought at that point, I mean, you could take anybody at this point, but every season is going to be different. I'm sure he'd love another national title. It would definitely be just one more boost to his resume in, in which he's accomplished pretty much everything else. Uh, but I don't look too much in that two and six because, like you said, you have to get there, and it's so hard to do so. And he's done that eight times. Coaches with at least six Final Four appearances, and I'm going to include the ones that are vacated because it's relevant to Rick Pitino and John Calipari. Rick Pitino, John Calipari, Adolph Rupp, some guy named Denny Crum who was back in the 70s and 80s with Louisville, Tom Izzo, Roy Williams, Dean Smith, John Wooden, Mike, Mike Krzyzewski. Um... Tom Izzo doesn't necessarily sound like the odd one out. He belongs in that list, and just because you get to the Final Four eight times and don't win the first game doesn't mean you didn't get to the Final Four. Yeah, I think it's I think Tom Izzo is one of the best coaches ever. I mean, to go down uh, as one of the best, obviously, would you like a better performance in the Final Four? Yeah, but it's it's hard to get to the Final Four. Um, I mean, it's tough. And even this whole talk with winning two national championships, I I, I think that would definitely help him and improve his resume. But also at the same time, his resume is great as it is. Um, a coach I was thinking about just now thinking, who's got two? Billy Donovan. He's got two with Florida. But do we think that he was a better college coach than Tom Izzo? Absolutely not. And and that's because Tom Izzo, was his, he's been in the college game forever. He's done this year in and year out. I mean, I think the longevity of him has to count, and I think that the fact that he does have the one ring, um, and he's producing great teams every year, I mean, he's still a great coach no matter what his record is in the Final Four. There we go. I think I think that says everything that needs to be said, but that that is what we have. That's our opinions on this Texas Tech-MSU game in the national semifinal. The Spartans fall to the Red Raiders once again. Final score 61 to 51 for Michigan State. 
this will not be the last time you hear an impact is on podcast. We'll have one more recapping the season when we get back to East Lansing. Uh, we'll have a little more talk actually about this Texas Tech MSU game and the national championship game that's going to be played later on today. We took a trip to the Hyatt Regency, uh, very, little, nice very nice hotel, a little bit of ways away from where we are, but we took a trip down there to visit visit a friend of ours and had to talk with him, talk some hoops with him. All right, so like we've been teasing to start this podcast, we have a, a very special guest joining us. We had to do a little bit of work to get this going, but we're happy to be here. Uh, our special guest, of course, ESPN's Jay Williams. He's a, currently a college basketball analyst for ESPN, works with our game day program, and obviously one of the best college hoops players of all time at Duke, and then a great player in the NBA for the Bulls. Jay, thanks for, for joining us here. A couple of things. I think I'm a, I'm a basketball host. I look at basketball as one pure vertical now. Everything kind of blends into the other. And secondly, it's not every day that a dude slides up into my DMs who's a little bit relentless, so I appreciate you really pushing it. Um, because you guys are really cool, so I'm excited to be here. No problem. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. So just a little backstory on how this all happened. Uh, <laughs> so we're, I'm waking up just late, super tired in the hotel room uh, Saturday morning, and I go through Twitter. I see Jay puts out there. He's, he's calling people. Just Is that like a political groups. correct way of saying you're a little bit hungover too? No? No. Okay. Oh. No, no. no not, not of age. age. Oh, okay. Not okay. Of age. All right. Sorry. Not of age. Oh, okay. All right. I, was, I, I was, take that back. I retract that statement. There we go. Yeah. All right. I was drinking chocolate milk all night long. Got crazy. But uh, <laughs> I see the tweet coming through. He's calling people, and I'm like, you know what? My Twitter's known for shooting my shot. We're talking Zendaya, any other hoop guys, Dickie V, you know, all the people shoot my shot. So love it. You put Zendaya and Dickie V in the same breath, by the way. That's about yeah. the same thing. To me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but slide my number out there, and next thing you know, I'm getting a call, and we're talking MSU hoops. And man says he'd love to come on the show, and I was like, oh, bet I will be in the DMs. We're talking multiple messages, getting the timing right, and uh, here we are in the Hyatt Regency in a conference room. We might get kicked out of doing this. So this is a uh, this is great, and I'm excited to do this. So obviously we're going to talk some basketball. And before getting into the Final Four and everything like that, I do want to ask you about this entire tournament. And a lot of people have said this has been a, a super boring march. Uh, hmm. A lot of chalk, a lot of just the big teams making it, no upsets, no buzzer beaters. I want to know how do you feel about this year's tournament, especially compared to the tournaments of last year where 16 wins. Well, I'm able to compartmentalize it because I think I look at it in two different ways. The basketball purists in me, I like seeing great teams continue to deliver. Um, but I also think that the marketability of the game, it's challenging because the national attention that garners from your Loyola Chicago's or some of these Cinderella's or some of the biggest names that we have in the game, let's address the elephant in the room, like Zion Williamson, not having Zion Williamson here. Um, you know, People get mad because ESPN has pushed – Zion Williamson all year, but you tell me, how do you not push that? How do you not push somebody who uh, has a true shooting percentage of 68%? There's one of four players in the last 50 years to do that, um, and he's spe a spectacular talent. So, yes, the basketball pure side of me loves it because you get a chance to see both these teams, even though the scoring isn't prolific, it's very efficient. Mm -hmm. And I, I think I love watching schematically how that works out between Chris Beard and Tony Bennett or Izzo and Bruce Pearl being here. Um, but then as far as the attractiveness, the exciting part of the game, I, I feel like that is missing a little bit. And that's going to be fascinating to see what happens in 2022 when the one-and-done rule changes. Um, will people from a national attention perspective pay attention to 
the purest of basketball, when you don't have those names that you can really cling on to and become household names. Like, let's be frank, like I also deal with a lot of people who jump into different you know, NCAA tournament pools. And we talk about hoops for four and a half months before we get here, okay? I mean, October, November, December, January, February, I mean, five, right? And then all of a sudden people are like, well, wait, who's on what team? Who's? And I'm like, you don't know who's on, you know, Texas Tech? Like, you don't know who Jarrett Culver is? But then I have to take a step back and realize that, okay, you know, we went through college football playoffs. Like, people were into college football. Then we transitioned from that into NFL playoffs and then the Super Bowl. And then it's, okay, then we're at All-Star break and All-Star break. And, you know, now people, what's happening with the NBA? And then all of a sudden March gets here and be like, wait, March Madness. Like, I get my pool together. So, recognizing that makes that challenging for me on the, on the latter part of it. But um, I also love watching the game continue to get better. So. Awesome. And then a big thing about this tournament, I want to ask you, because you you've had the opportunity to play as a player and then get to watch all these tournaments. Do you have a favorite tournament moment, first as a player and then just watching all these now? Yeah, my favorite tournament moment is actually going to be, it's, it's not a great time in my life, but retrospectively looking at it, it was just awesome. Um, it came in the first possession of the Final Four game we had um, against Maryland. And we had competed with Maryland back in 2000, you know, the 2000s, like our rivalry was not North Carolina. We used to smack North Carolina. Um, it, was, it was Maryland. It was Steve Blake and, and Juan Dixon and company and Chris Wilcox and Lonnie Baxter and those guys. So I remember that NCAA tournament, I was, Julian, I was so hot. Like I, It's a feeling that I can't describe. It didn't matter what shot I put up. For some reason, it was going in. Like, this was literally the first four games of the tournament. I think it was averaging, like, you know, 29 points. It was even close to 50% from the field, something like that. I was just hot, right? It was like Carson Edwards. Yes, yes, fantasy leagues. I get it. Um, <laughs> joking with you. Like Carson Edwards, right, type numbers. And I remember we, we drew up a play, and it was one of the first possessions of the game against Maryland, and I caught the ball. Like, on uh, if you're facing the basket uh, here, like, and it's on the left side, the three-point line extended from the left elbow. I remember I was turning into my shot off a curl, and I'm going up and I see the rim, right? And as I see the rim, then I take into account like where the defender is and all this other stuff because I was able to multitask and then go back to the rim. So I'm looking at the rim. I go up and I see the defender coming from my left side. So I kind of you know, edge off a little bit to the right. And as I look back to find the rim, I cannot find the rim. Like I cannot find the rim because we were playing in the dome which is different than U.S. Bank Stadium, right? And there was the backdrop. You saw, like, literally 20,000 people. But the distance between where the stand started as opposed to a regular gym was drastically different. It was exponentially maybe, like, 100 yards away, right? So that backdrop creates a depth perception. Mm -hmm. So I went from, yeah, being one of the hottest guys in the tournament to my first shot being like, just please hit the rim. Do not embarrass yourself on national TV. Um, So, yeah, I would say that would be one of my best parts of, of playing in it. And then I've also I paid attention to the tournament forever, man. I would go back to UCLA days with Tyus Edney, making that shot with like, you know, four and a half seconds, getting the ball all the way down the court, obviously seeing UCLA prevail. Um, but I've had so many – I have the best job ever, man. I get paid great money to watch hoops every day. The wife comes downstairs and she's like, can you help out with the baby? I'm like, hon, I got two games going on TVs. I have to work right now. This is where I have to work. It's the best excuse ever. It works all the time. So – I'm a very good position. That's great. That's the goal we're trying to get to right now. We are we are at the spot where we don't get paid. We yes. just watch basketball and write essays while doing it. <laughs> because you're student broadcasters. We are student broadcasters. You gotta say that first. As a student broadcasters. Student athletes, student broadcasters. Yeah, that's that's right. But 
But uh, so the final four ends up shaking out to Virginia versus Auburn, MSU versus Texas Tech. And I want to focus, obviously, first on the MSU-Texas Tech game. And the biggest thing coming into this one was the talk about this Texas Tech defense. And they are the number one defense in the country. They play it very differently than anyone else in the country. And I think you have a very unique perspective as a former player. So when you watch the game, you kind of see it differently than us Mm -hmm. couch potatoes who sit there and are like, I could easily take this to the rim right here. And so for you, you got to look at this Texas Tech team. What is it about their defense, defense that's really so different and so hard to kind of attack? Well, it wasn't until a couple of years ago that the Golden State Warriors started to win games with their positionless style that that started to be imitated on the collegiate level. And I think Chris Beard has always kind of prioritized his defense on having those that versatility. So, number one, they switch positions one through five. And they do a really good job of shrinking the court. I don't know if you know what I mean when I say that. Do you? I think it's okay. For the listeners. For the listeners. So what I I mean by shrinking the court, so prime example, if I'm guarding Cassius Winston and Nick War comes and sets a screen on me, uh, Tariq Owens and I will switch. Mm -hmm. So now I'm six foot, I'm guarding Nick War. There's no way in hell that I should be able to guard Nick Ward. So what Chris Beard teaches is he's taught to front. So I play in front of Nick Ward, right? I kind of like sit on his lap and I kind of face him. And the other player from the weak side comes over and puts one foot in the paint and one foot not in the paint. He's straddling the line. Mm-hmm. This, we, this means if you try to throw the pass over the top, he's in position from the weak side to come get the steal over the top, right? So it makes you question that pass. That's what I mean by shrinking the court. So number one, they do that extremely well. Number two, the one thing that would hinder Michigan State, and we talked about it, the year that they have had has been crazy, man. Like, you guys have lost Joshua Langford. Like, Arns is not there. He's not fully healthy. He couldn't stay healthy. Like, you know, Henry getting into foul trouble makes it different. Mm-hmm. So the one person that can literally be the spark plug for your offense is Cassius. He's the one guy that literally I think he accounted for like 67% of your team's points in the, the Elite Eight game because it's either off his passing or off his scoring. So if you're a coach and you're like, okay, we're going to blitz him on every ball screen, we're going to keep him on one side of the floor, and they call it something called downing ball screens is what we do in the league all the time. So a lot of times in college, you know, you'll come down the court and, like, you know, Cash is able to go wherever he wants to go with the ball. So you saw in their game, uh, in the Elite Eight game, he was able to come off a screen and then turn around and then use that same screen on a rescreen, right? Yeah. Well, Texas Tech doesn't even let you get to the screen in the first place. They'll play on the high side of you and force you down, and that big who's guarding the big won't be up trying to hedge the screen. He's going to sit back in the paint and say, come on, Cassius, you have no other place to go but here. So you take Cash out of the situation, who else on Michigan State can beat you? Who can make plays? Um, and I thought that was going to be a major issue for them, and it, it proved out that Texas Tech was a team. But I will say this about, Texas, uh, about Michigan State. The scary thing is you guys have everybody coming back next year. And uh, getting Joshua Langford and, and, and team to be on the same page, uh, that's a team that can win a championship because they'll have more than just one threat. Yeah, that's one thing that we thought was really clear when going through it was that they forced Michigan State to rely on the supporting cast. Mm-hmm. And you, that's why you end up seeing Matt McQuaid dribble the basketball, pound it into the court for most of those possessions because that's what they wanted to happen. I hear you, but Matt McQuaid, man, I mean, dude, look, there's, there's some guys you see play on TV, and then when I see it in person, I feel it, I'm like, oh, my. He's so tight. Like, I would see him in practice. I'm like, he's so Mm -hmm. bouncy. He's loose. He looks like he's having fun. And something about when he got in games, he was tight. We saw a different Matt McQuaid during this tournament, man. 
We saw a dude who was like a little bit more free of mind, free of spirit, didn't think about, I just missed my last shot. How is that going to you know, translate into my next play? Like I saw him be careless, and you need somewhat of a careless attitude while still valuing the ball and possessions in order to let yourself go. I, I think that's something really big for him to pick up on for next year. That's one thing that I, I do want to ask you about because that's an interesting kind of psychological thing as a basketball player. At one point, do you kind of gain that? Because I think this team only has two seniors with McQuaid and Goins and a lot of freshmen who kind of have to learn that now. Is, there, is this like a point where you start to learn that for next year, or when does that kind of click? It clicks for everybody at different times, man. I mean, I, I wish it clicked sooner for Matt. Um, because the kid has all the talent in the world. And, I mean, obviously, look, even for Kenny, how about that shot he made against Duke, right? Like, the first time he took that shot, Zion Williamson was like 10 feet off him, yeah. and he got it blocked. I, you know, I, think, I don't think fans really understand that, right? Mm-hmm. So when you're playing with somebody that's physically a freak like that, how does that not factor in to your next shot? It's like playing pickup, right? I was joking around. I go and I play pickup basketball all the time, and I'm, I'm literally on one leg. And I was like 44 in this pickup league in, in, in New York. And people were like, well, how, how do you do that? And I remember some guy was guarding me. And I literally, I, I know how to drive. I use my shoulders. I went to drive. And he was a little bit quicker than me, but I just dipped my shoulder a little bit. And I know how to hit you. So I dipped my shoulder, and I put my shoulder literally into his chest. And I heard him go, <gasps> right? I knocked the wind out of him. So think about this. The next play, I go to do the same thing. Guess what he does? He naturally backs off. He doesn't want to be hit again. So if you're Kenny Goings, you get your shot blocked. Don't think for one second as a fan that the next time you're open, you're being open, open for a reason now. It's psychological. Like, do you have the same audacity just to shoot the same shot with the same confidence, knowing I blocked you the last time? So like, there takes a lot of courage into taking shots like that. So you hope that certain guys can pick up on it. Um, but everybody, for as far as a player, happens in your own time. Yeah, and a big thing for us as watching the game and something that we've talked about a lot is to us it seemed maybe – a little lack of an injury, a step slow for Michigan State coming into this game and especially coming out of the halftime. I mean, it was a two-point game at halftime, and they come out and Texas Tech goes in a very large run and kind of springs the game open in their favor. For you, did you see that same thing, that lack of energy, maybe even that lack of adjustments coming out of halftime? You know how hard it is to win six games in a row, man? <laughs> like um, all the fans out there, if you ever go play pickup, okay, I want you to challenge yourself, even if the game is to 11. Game is to 11. Any fan listening to this, play hard for all 11 points. Like, don't casually play and stand around or when somebody's dribbling the ball, just kind of stand there and throw your hand up like, hey, I'm open. Or if somebody else has the ball defensively, you're in the corner. Like, no, like, actually, if somebody else has the ball on opposite side of court, like, sit in the middle lane, talk the whole time, slide back and forth, make sure your defensive player knows. Like, you know how tiring that is to think through each and every possession of a game when you're going through battles in order to win? So, yeah, you are tired, man. And how about this? How about Matt Mooney beat you guys? Like, he scored 22 points. It's not like Matt Mooney's been the guy dropping 25 a game. It's like Jarrett Culver or some other players, you know? Like, so, like, I'm not saying that Matt Mooney isn't good, but, like, they had more, they had more variety of options yeah. than you guys did offensively. Um, and I think that's what you – like, look, the team that we wanted on in 2001, man, we were down 22 points. 22 points. Now, I played on a team where Mike Dunleavy was the third pick in the draft, Shane Battier was the third pick in the draft, Boozer – perennial all-star Chris Duhon to play 10 years in the league. I was the second pick in the draft. But if we don't have other options, if Mike Dunleavy doesn't go off for like four threes in that ball game, we don't win that game in the championship game. So there's an element of luck. I mean, look how Virginia's here. 
Yeah. Are you kidding me? Like, there's, I don't care. It, it happens all the time. There's that one game where it's some kind of luck that has to bounce your way okay. in order for you to be here. And it just felt like at the end of the day, Cash not being able to do what he's normally able to do. Like, and I'll say this for him, too, because he's probably going to put his name into the draft. I love watching Cassius Winston. But Cassius Winston needs to work on his body. Like, he needs to take the game psychologically and physically to a different level where he can't afford to ever be tired. Now, that's a lot of responsibility, but that comes with the name being Cassius Winston for Michigan State. Boom. You, you hit on that for me. That was my next question. And sticking with players potentially going into the league, I want to take a look at Nick Ward because he is a guy who tested the NBA waters a season ago, got told he needed to Should work on some things. Should not test again. Should not test again in Should your Should not opinion? test He needs to come back to school. To come back. I, I, I see Nick mm-hmm. Ward. I see a, a lot of baby fat on his body. And I'm not saying that players can't come into the league and work on their body. But if you think anything, and look, I, I do business with, you know, I'm partners with Kevin Durant and 35 Ventures and what we're doing with the ballroom, and I'm a big fan of the NBA, covering the playoffs all the time for Get Up. When, when you look at the, the style of the game and the pace of the game, it's hard to have players that you have to wait for to get down the court. And I, I'm not saying that Nick Ward isn't, he's not the fastest, but mm-hmm. he, he's not slow, but he's not fast. So for guys like that that want to, you know, playoff time, yeah, are you going to pick Nick Ward on DeMarcus Cousins? You going to let Nick Ward guard DeMarcus Cousins? You going to let, you know, Nick Ward guard some of the other best bigs in the league, Joel Embiid, Al Horford? Like, if you look at their bodies and you look at their skill set for Nick, like, Nick still can't shoot the ball. Mm-hmm. Like, I would still love to see him this offseason. Going into my sophomore year, man, I made 1,000 shots a day. I made 1,000 shots. I didn't take 1,000 shots. I made made so I think sometimes kids say they want to work but then when it comes time to put that effort in the gym I'm not saying they they don't want to do it it's just they don't understand how long it takes to do it so if Nick Ward can bring back that game next year where he turns around he faces you he can knock down a 15 footer he can beat you down the court he can come out on screens and hedge and then come back or you know he doesn't look tired when he's sometime on the block like even that last game like how how are you stopping Nick Ward from getting the ball if Nick Ward really wanted to get the ball who the hell on earth can stop Nick Ward from getting the ball? Like, he got outworked. And I think if you're a scout, you have to pay attention to that. So I would love to see Nick Ward come back to school and put this team in the same situation they were this year, but then be mentally stronger and physically more conditioned now that they understand what it takes to be here and to sustain that type of excellence. Yeah. And then what about Xavier Tillman? He's getting some buzz right now, and I think he has a, a unique skill set that transfers to the NBA. He can switch one through five, and we've seen it multiple times where – He'll get the switch on a, a perimeter player, whether it be Xavier Simpson in the Big Ten or even Zion, and he may not be a, the fastest to keep up, but he knows how to angle his body to stay within reach and be able to recover for block shots. I think he's one of those guys that he, he needs to test it. He needs mm-hmm. to see what his feedback would be from GMs. Uh, remember, you know, you only get two times to test it, right? And the second time you go in, you can't come back. So I, I feel like for him it will be good. And, look, I will say this. A lot of times it's about the league is about getting in where you fit in. I'll never forget the story. We're doing USA basketball, and Ben Wallace is playing on the team. And I come up the screen with Ben Wallace, and I kick him the ball, and he's wide open. It's like a 10-footer. I'm like, shoot it. And he passes me the ball back, and we end up having to play down. Like Reggie Miller takes a shot in the corner or something, and it's the next time out. I'm like, man, you got to shoot the ball. Ben, he's like, I do not shoot. I do not shoot. I screen, I rebound, and I fight. And I'm like, oh. Okay, that's – and then after the game, you hear that in the game. I'm like, all right. And then it's like, well, wait, that's how Ben Wiles got paid $60 million. He 
wasn't trying to do something he couldn't do. He just did what he did really, really, really well. He actually hit dudes on screen. He actually fought you for offensive rebounds. He actually talked defensively and was everywhere taking charges. Like, that's a commodity. If you can understand, that's who you need to be. Mm -hmm. So if Xavier Tillman is willing to be that type of player while his offensive game continues to bloom, then there's a chance. But that depends upon fit and where you do get drafted. Yeah, and We've talked a lot about MSU. Last hit on them real fast. For you, you look at this season. A lot of injuries make it all the way to the Final Four. A lot of over it's an overachievement. They made it this far. Who the hell can be disappointed at the exactly. season that you guys are? If any Michigan State fan is, is disappointed, <laughs> shame on you. Tell them. Shame Tell on them. you. Seriously. Like, it, just not injuries. I mean, look at all the stuff that's happened with, with the university, first off, to deal with that, with Tom to deal with that. I've known Tom for a long time. The fact that we live in an age now where anything small is going to be blown out of proportion because the news cycle is what it is. You talk about everything. Uh, you know, I've been quoted on TV before saying, you know, I, I have a daughter, she's six months. If I ever have a son and he can play basketball, like, he could play for Tom Izzo, hands down. I will want Tom Izzo to mold my son to be a second father figure to my child. I would trust in him that much. So everything that this team has dealt with as far as injuries and just the entire season, the fact that – we did, we did game day. I was at Michigan State where you guys lost to Indiana. To Indiana. Like, my wife is from Indiana. Like, I was talking <laughs> so much trash to IU fans. I even took a picture of my child because my wife makes me put her in an IU baby, like, night suit. And I put her to sleep, and that's how I did my pick. I'm like, we're putting Indiana to sleep, Michigan State. Right? Like, seeing that game from that point to see how you guys got to a Final Four, like, that deserves to be praised, man. That deserves to be praised. And I was wondering, just the you've been around ESPN for how many years now? Was it 13, eight, eight, nine, 13? 13. Wow. Oh, five, five. You've got to see both sides of maybe the media reaction plus the coach-player interaction with Aaron Henry. Mm -hmm. I don't quite remember what your kind of whole take on that was because I heard a lot from everybody else. You, you only the hear the negative takes, huh? Right. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that funny how we all do that? There's a tendency for us all to focus just on the negative and you don't listen to a lot of the positive. I think one thing I've learned as far as being part of the media is that it's easy to take everybody else and their thoughts into account. You know, but sometimes you don't have time to reflect upon what everybody else is doing, especially if you're a Tom Izzo. Like, you know what your character is. You know what you stand for. My take was, and this is me, being from New Jersey, I've had coaches that have given me tough love. The moment you stop yelling at me, I get concerned because now you're checked out. You don't care. Or psychological, and I need to respond some way. Now I'm trying to figure it out. So the fact that if there's standards in life, like, so what? Like, so what? Tom Izzo yelled at him. Like, it doesn't, I can keep going, man. I have no problem. With, I, I was just curious. That's right. Um, no problem. I have no problem, Tom Izzo, yelling at him. Like, Coach K yelled at me all the time. It got the best out of me. Now, maybe that's not the same for every player, but I don't think Tom addresses every player the same way he did Aaron Herring at that given time. And it takes trust in a relationship to have that connection with your coach and my thing is if I don't see the kid complaining about it even if I did see the kid complaining about it I'm like what's well, so, okay you guys are all about to enter the real world you get a job your boss rips you one one time my boss rips me. you gonna go on social media and cry that your boss is ripping you like what are you gonna do like, it, it's real world scenarios too and I understand that social media now becomes this place where everybody wants to tap into it and say you should never yell at the kids there's a different way to motivate kids yeah but sometimes you just gotta do what you gotta do I'm and I, not to give my last thing, not to give war analogies, because it does not compare to the people that want to sparse, you know, this conversation to that point. But Coach K will give these analogies. If we're in the trenches, man, and we're battling, do you think I have time to think about 
how I need to be sensitive with my remarks towards you? No. I'm trying to win this damn game. Like, I'm trying to get you out of, like, even Coach uh, Mulkey said the other day when their best player for Baylor went down, the big girl, she hurt her knee. You know, they interviewed her during the game. She's like, I feel horrible, but right now we're trying to win this game. You have to be able to compartmentalize stuff like that. And I think that was a prime example of how sports sometimes can be blown out of proportion because people don't understand their relationship. And at the end of the day, our relationship with watching that doesn't matter. Their relationship and how they deal with it internally is the only thing that matters. Jay, I want to really thank you. Uh, thank you for joining us, taking the time. Oh, good, man. On the podcast. We really appreciate it. Thanks for taking the time to call <laughs> that Saturday morning. Really appreciate it. And um, it's, it was a great conversation. Well, you just felt like doing it? You know, man, like, I, it's really funny. I do TV, but I am no different than you guys. I'm no different than anybody. I, I, I like to go to a bar and wear jeans and watch hoops. Um, so sometimes I think when you, when you do TV, it kind of can make you unrelatable. Like, it's kind of like as an athlete, right? As an athlete, I'm sorry for the long-winded answer in this one, but it's personal to me. Like, as an athlete, sometimes you lived in a warped reality. Right? Like, everything is done for you all the time and... Um, you know, you have a lot of access to money and a lot of nice things, and you, you lose touch with just everyday hardworking people. Like, like I said to you before, like I get paid to watch sports. Like my job is not hard. Like, and I appreciate sometimes being able to help other people just get away from their job for one second by talking hoops. Like that's what sports still does for me. I get away from my everyday grind. You know, it did that for me as a kid. That's why I loved it. That's why you know, I'm very fortunate to have a job in it. So to be able just to call people and spend an hour and a half, two hours of my day talking to random fans about their teams or talking to them about, sure, I talked to a kid the other day that literally, you know, went through a life-changing event. He had a life-changing accident, a car accident. Lost to another woman who lost her child and her kid loved basketball and she loves Auburn basketball. So you get a chance to find out about who these people are too, man. And look, I think we live in a time now where we all, and we have a tendency to do this, we, um, we find out what we don't have in connection instead of what connects us all. So if I could take out two hours of my day, I'm doing it again today, like to find different connection points between people, damn right. Because that's what it's about, helping each other out. Sure. Boom. Well, thank you. Fair warning, I'm going to be relentless in the DMs from here on out. So. <laughs> hey, well, I, we, we, chances are we'll probably do another game day from, uh, from Michigan State next year. So maybe I'll bring on the rest of the crew too. I'm there. I'm there. All you, right. you, got, you guys going to come back well, since you guys are seniors? They'll come, yeah, they'll come guys, back. You guys will be in the real world by then, yeah? Okay. <laughs> well, thank you. Thanks, man. So, uh, no big deal. NBD, you know, just went down the higher regions. He saw Jay Will, chopped it up for a minute. Um, Very gracious with his time. He's really nice. We, we went in and we were thinking, we'll do a quick 10 minutes. We're in, we're out, bada bing, bada boom. And then he's just, he's just like, you know, I'm willing to hang out. Next thing you know, we're at 40 minutes still, still just chopping it up about hoops. If we do the full thing, full thing will drop later on, actually. You got a little tease, a little taste of that. We got a full 40 minutes with Jay Williams dropping, and that was, that was just a great time. Huh? It was good content. Was I could have sat there for three hours and talked hoops. Man, that was that was fantastic. Big shout out to Jay for doing that. That's it's truly a blessing that we got to to be in Manny and Michigan State loses, but we still get to to turn out some really great stuff and be with them. Unbelievably nice guy. Oh, fantastic. Unbelievably. Now I don't want to say that you know on TV he seems like this giant jerk because that's not at all. But you know you would think that you know this big time at ESPN, big time in the college hoops world, you know he could have a little bit of an ego to him. Not even a little bit. I mean, the guy was unbelievably nice. So, you know, 
strive to be Jay Williams, hopefully. There you go. Strive to be Jay Williams. Look at that endorsement. Look at that. Look at that. Jay Williams. <laughs> Griffin, that is fantastic. But Jay was Jay was great. We really appreciate him taking the time. And that's going to be it for Season 6, Episode 23. You get us and you get Jay Will. Whew. Can't ask for anything better. Once again, full thing with Jay Williams will drop following this podcast. Be sure to check that entire thing out. But that's been it for Minneapolis. We'll catch you when we get back to East Lansing. Till then, we'll see you next time.